Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Looking to build wealth beyond the stock market? Gain access to alternative investment opportunities once reserved for the ultra-wealthy with Yield Street. Build a diversified portfolio with investments such as real estate, art, commercial finance, and other alternatives typically with low stock market correlation and targeting annual yields of up to 15%. Yield Street investment minimums start at $1,000. Head to YieldStreet.com to join over 275,000 members and create your account today. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, April 4th, after the Cubs have finished their first series of the 2021 season. And, Brendan, they finish it with two W's. We get the W flag flying over Wrigley on consecutive days here on Saturday and Sunday. And for the first time in like a year and a half, we have fans at Wrigley Field singing Go Cubs Go at the top of their lungs. A limited crowd, to be sure, but the whole thing, baseball being back, the Cubs winning, taking two of three from the Pirates, fans flying the W, singing the song at Wrigley Field. Brendan, it was a beautiful weekend. Beautiful weekend to see Jake Arrieta back on the field. First time in a Cubs uniform in over three years. You have the Javi Chance, Corey, which, by the way, you can't yes. tell if that was a full Wrigley crowd or not based on the Javi Chance. So it was like a somewhat return to normalcy, even though we're not there yet. But it was like, oh, okay, finally, we're kind of getting there. It felt good, man, to have a series win, too, and just to hear the fans, the song, the Avi chants, the standing ovation for Zach Davies off the mound. Overall, you couldn't really ask for much better other than a sweep, but this is the next best thing. We have a series to recap, which is exciting. I, it's uh, It's been a long off-season of episodes, and especially after the shutdown in the 2020 season, I, I don't think I'll ever take for granted again, Brendan, the ability to come on here and talk about a series in which the Cubs won baseball games. As as simple as that might have seemed at a time, it's it's just very nice to be able to wa- watch regular season baseball that counts in a 162-game season with some fans at Wrigley Field. It all feels very good to be doing this again. On Thursday, it was the Pirates spoiling the opening day festivities at Wrigley Field because, of course, Pirates winning that one 5-3. to three. Not a lot to write home about in this one. Kyle Hendricks wasn't good. It was pretty cold at Wrigley Field. Kyle's notoriously somewhat of a slow starter. You can read into that if you want. I don't. Kyle Hendricks will be fine. It just was not his finest hour. He goes three innings, four hits, three earned, three walks, four strikeouts, and the big one was a home run to the second batter of the game, Key Brian Hayes, a pitch that just leaked too much over the middle, and that was that for Kyle Hendricks. 
and the Cubs actually scoring all three of their runs on Thursday via the sack fly, which in a loss isn't a particularly exciting note, but if you've been watching this team for the last few years, any signs, and it continued through the weekend, any signs that they are performing better situationally in terms of manufacturing runs, converting things to runs, is a good one. So, you know, silver lining for that game on Thursday. On Saturday, Brendan, as you mentioned, it was Jake Arietta's first start at Wrigley Field as a Chicago Cub since the 2017 NLCS against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Of course, Jake was fantastic in this game, and he was fantastic in this one on Saturday, pacing the Cubs to a 5-1 to victory for their first of the year. Jake getting his first W of the season back with the Cubs. He goes six innings, gives up six hits, one earned run, one walk, and five strikeouts. Jake was really good in this game. Brandon Workman, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimbrell were the bullpen behind Jake in this one, each of them going an inning of work, each of them allowing no hits or runs or walking anybody, and each of them striking out at least two batters with Craig Kimbrell striking out all three. So uh, that last one is something we're going to be talking about in this podcast because Dirty Craig lived up to the name this weekend. He was filthy this entire weekend, and that is a big deal. On Saturday, the big blows coming off the bats of Chris Bryant and Jason Hayward, both of them getting their first home runs of the year. David Bodie, Javi Baez, and Jake Marisnik, who got the start for Ian Happ in this one, also driving in runs. On Sunday, the finale, it was the Cubs holding on to a 4-3 to win. Zach Davies getting his first win as a Chicago Cub. He goes five and two-thirds, allows four hits, two earned runs, three walks, and five strikeouts. Zach Davies was good in this game. Uh, He got taken deep by Colin Moran uh, for an opposite field home run that was really his lone, you know, sort of major mistake. He was rolling up until that point, uh, and that was, you know, the one mistake, and obviously uh, with the Cubs only having four runs in this one, it got a little closer than you would have liked, but Zach Davies was very good in this game, and I think as advertised, It was one of those games, Brendan, where for someone that had been on the Brewers for so long, I recognized that game from Zach Davies, right? Except we were on the beneficiary end of it this time. So that was nice to see uh, as opposed to being frustrated by it when he was on the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Craig Kimbrell. Again, picking up his first save on Sunday. Saturdays wasn't a save, but he gets his first save on Sunday. Another clean inning, no hits, no runs, no walks, and two more strikeouts. So if you're doing the quick math there, Craig Kimbrell has struck out five of the six outs he's gotten this season, and those are also the only batters that he's faced. So when I say that Dirty Craig was indeed dirty this weekend, I'm pretty sure that tells the whole story. When you strike out basically everybody that you face, that's pretty good, especially for a closer. So that was certainly exciting. On Sunday, Ian Happ getting his first home run of the season. Javi Baez also drove in a big run there. It was on an error, but he was the one that hit the ball and it ended up being the winning run. So you can take that for however you want. Chris Bryan also an RBI in this one and Jock Peterson also driving in a run on a ground out earlier in the game. So that is really the story of this series. There was a lot to 
break down and, and we'll talk about it, Craig Kimbrell being one of those things and uh, some other news and notes on these particular players. But I, I think looking at this generally, Brendan, like I said, to kind of kick things off here, I, I think that this was a, a solid series. Certainly, it's the first three games of a 162-game season. You know, you start the game on Thursday. It was, I think, like 40 degrees at Wrigley Field. Then you have an off day and you go into the weekend. So either positively or negatively, you don't ever really want to react too strongly to the first three games of the season. Uh, But all things considered, I think there was a lot to like in this series. And I think that it's nice to see, you know, a a clean win on Saturday. They come back as a team. Jake looked really good in that game. I'm sure you'll have a lot for us on Jake Arrieta's performance on Saturday. And then, you know, holding on to a tight win on Sunday. It it wasn't flashy. It wasn't explosive. It, you know, again, didn't have any wild performances from people, but they get two wins. They take the series. They set themselves up nicely uh, after a first weekend, and I think that's all you can really ask. I think the the biggest takeaway from the series was the quality of the at-bats, and this is the only first series of the season, so you don't want to extrapolate too much, but there was a moment in time halfway through that third game where the Cubs had 10 opportunities to knock in a run, and in seven of those 10 opportunities, they did that. And so we heard for years, man, with Joe Madden, and even last year, David Ross during spring training, the, the words opportunity hitting or situational hitting, and they worked so hard to do that last year their way of trying to optimize that situational hitting was to be a little bit more passive and disciplined at the dish. But whatever happened with that mindset for the team didn't really translate to actually doing that. So last year, they swung at far fewer pitches than in years past, but at the same time, they did so. They did not hit for power. They did not even really hit the ball with more frequency, and they were just missing strikes. So visually looking at this series, the entire team, and again, not everyone had the best at-bats per se, but you can tell from Ian Happ to Chris Bryant to Anthony Rizzo, quality of the at-bats looked like they were taking with more intention. They were hitting their pitches when they were thrown in you know, the meat of the dish, and they, they didn't really miss. I mean, I thought Ian Happ overall the entire series, he was watching every pitch through the glove. And that in that last game when he had that home run, I mean, he's locked in. And the walks he's taking, he is just locked in. He's taking these pitches without any imbalance. Even Chris Bryant's taking these pitches without any imbalance. And overall, like they look good, dude, in the first three games. I think for the first series of the season, as they get more adjustments, as they get more comfortable being back at Wrigley, this is a good start. Yeah, and there was a good quote from Ian Happ about the opening day loss. And, you know, the opening day, like, look, I I think you guys know Brendan and I well enough that we're definitely down to react strongly, but one game of a 162-game season is not really the place to overreact. There's just too much runway on a season for that. But what why I bring that up is that Thursday, opening day, was a frustrating game, and I understand why some people were, you know, very quick, uh, you know, with little patience and just kind of like, oh, here we go again with the offense. You know, they struck out 
10 times. Here we go again with the bullpen. They walked, you know, the pitching staff as a whole walked like 10 people in that first game. You know, so I, I, I get it. It wasn't, you know, we've all been waiting for baseball. I get it. It wasn't the showing that we were hoping for. But one game out of 162, I think you have to have a little more patience than that. And I think the Cubs the rest of the weekend showed why. And I really liked this quote from Ian Happ on that specific kind of thinking. He said, quote, I think everybody collectively took a breath and said, we have 161 to go. We're going to be just fine. A lot of belief in the group of guys and what we're capable of. And I think that's what it's about. Again, Thursday was frustrating. Like, we've all been waiting for baseball. I was joking with you, Brendan, that I had just gotten done on a podcast talking about how people need to respect Kyle Hendricks and how it makes me sick that people don't act like he's one of the best pitchers in the league. And he had a bad game on Thursday, right? Like, so, you know, I wasn't happy about it either. But I think some of the freaking out right out the gate was like, okay, okay, okay. Like, We'll see, right? It's we, we, we there's a lot of ways that this team can go, but one game we need a little more patience, and I think the Cubs rewarded that for the rest of the weekend. But where I really would like to start, Brendan, there there's a lot of places to start, I think, but to me, the place has to be Jake Arrieta because this he was really, yes. really good on Saturday. And it was one of those things where I was just so pumped up to be doing that again, right? I had so many texts from people that, you know, happy Jake Day. Jake Day's back. Like, I got my 49 jersey on. I'm ready to go. I can't believe that, you know, I get to pull out my old Arietta jersey or whatever and that he's back and all this other stuff. And so I was just, like, excited to be doing that again, you know, like really digging into kind of some of the nostalgia of it. But then he goes out, gives you a quality start. The Cubs pick up their first win of the year. And it was, you know, one of those things where you were just like, this was great. And 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 this is, you know, I think a perfect example of, I think everybody that was really excited about Jake coming back had measured expectations. I don't recall seeing anybody that was excited about Jake coming back realistically expecting the 2015 version of him to be in this rotation. I think people were just happy to have him back and like you and I are often, Brendan, hopeful that this Cubs pitching group and and just being back with the Cubs could lift him to a different level. And this is, you know, and it doesn't have to be this good all the time, but like this is all you're really asking for him of of him, right? Quality starts, six innings, kept the team in the game, used the defense behind him a little bit, got some whiffs, nothing crazy, nothing gaudy, but really, really solid, gives the team a chance to win, and that's exactly what they do. But before I throw it to you, and you can talk about Jake Arrieta as much as you want, right? But I want to read this, and I want to go back to something that I (laughs) have stated a few times since the Cubs signed him. And, you know, this doesn't completely back up what I was saying because it was also just me making something up, just sort of my gen- general intuition on things. But if you were listening to us in the offseason talk about Jake Arrieta signing, and one of the reasons that I was at least positive on the notion that he would be better than he was in Philadelphia, right? Because that was a common thought. Like, ah, he wasn't, you know, there wasn't a good time in Philadelphia. I don't know. What does he have left in the tank? Blah, blah, blah. And I I kept saying, 
I'm really confident that the Cubs are just better than the Phillies, that the Cubs organization is better than the Phillies. Their scouting is better. Their player development is better. Their, you know, medical staff is better. Their pitching infrastructure is assuredly better because just look at how the organizations have fared over the last several years, right? They're both big market teams, both with huge budgets, going out, signing big players, etc. One of them is always in the playoffs, won a World Series, etc. The other is never in the playoffs, missed the largest playoff field we've seen in 2020, right? And that's the Phillies. So I was just like, let's see what happens. I bet he's better than he was with the Phillies, right? Because the Phillies are the Phillies. And so I want to read this stat from Brett Taylor over at Bleacher Nation because I just thought this was funny. Jake Arrieta, Brett says, was really good yesterday. How good? By game score, uh, which is, I believe, from ESPN that kind of puts everything together and spits out an overall score for the game. And so Brett says, He had a game score of 66 on Saturday, and he asked, do you know how many starts Jake had that were better than that in the last two years? So since 2018, just three total. So Saturday was Jake's fourth best start, according to game score, since 2018, right? It's just one start. We'll see how it fares. But for him to immediately, right, Brendan, put up one of the better game scores that he has throughout his time in Philadelphia, that was kind of my, like, look at the the camera Jim Halpert moment, right? Where I was just like, I told you, right? Like, I don't know how good he's going to be. I don't know how many more games like this. We'll see how the season plays out, right? It's all about health. And, you know, I think that was one of the things throughout his time in Philly that was problematic. So we'll see, right? Like, I'm not getting ahead of myself. But just to read that tweet from Brett and see, like, oh, that was his fourth, you know, that was better than basically every start but a few in Philadelphia. I was like, yeah, I mean, I kind of figured because they're the Phillies. So anyway... It was a really good start. It was really good to see him back out there, and he talked a little bit about that too, like how even though it was uh, a smaller crowd and not the full effect, he was totally just feeling how special it was in Wrigley. He said, you know, he remembered all of it, and it it was great to be back. There was uh, some photos of him at at the liquor store on on Southport, just, uh, you know, off of Addison in Wrigleyville. He's a big neighborhood guy. Uh, He always used to go to Cafe Tola, where I'm a big fan of their empanadas and their coffee and you know he was walking around with his family his backpack there was reports from some of the beat writers that he was riding around Wrigleyville on his scooter and if anybody wanted to stop and say hi or take a photo or anything he was doing it it it's good to be back it's good to have him back it's good to be back and when he's going out there delivering quality starts to get the Cubs their first win of the season that's that's as good as it gets Brennan so when he left the Cubs to the Phillies, he kind of turned into a fastball dominant pitcher and in doing so, sort of scrapped his curveball. And when he came up, when he was traded to the Cubs, that was his pitch. His curveball, his wipeout curveball was his pitch that he complemented it with that cutter, slider, slutter, whatever you want to call it. And then over time, as we saw last year, as the pinnacle, he got away from that cutter, from that slider a little bit, started going back to that changeup. And he threw a changeup almost 17% of the time last year, 
which is fine. That's, you know, what he did. But in doing so, Corey, he only threw his curveball 7% of the time last year. And again, just mapping this back to when he was in the Cubs in 2015, 2016, 2017, he was around 15 to 20% with that curveball. Now, in his first start with the Cubs, he threw a curveball in 23% of his pitches. He did not throw one changeup yesterday. Not one. All he threw were curveballs, sliders, and sinkers. Not even a four-seam. Just a slider, sinker, and curveball. That's it. And what stood out to me was the reliance on that curveball. And you have to ask yourself, why is he relying on that curveball so much? Last year, he threw curveballs with 50 inches of vertical drop. It's a lot of drop, but not where he usually is throwing curveballs with that much break. So in his first start with the Cubs, he threw a curveball with 55 inches of drop on average. That is within his career range with the Cubs. Also, so that that, that is a huge thing. So monitor that curveball frequency as the year progresses because that was a pitch, again, that he went away from, even leading up to the Phillies. And so, also, we heard about Jake Arrieta trying to get back to being more crossfire. So him trying to throw across his body a little bit more from, again, when he was on the Cubs, he threw across his body a lot. So I was looking at that horizontal release point, and that's a good barometer of two things. One, where the pitcher is letting go of the pitch relative to a shoulder. Also, where on the mound, on the rubber, he's standing. So if you stand a little bit more towards the third base side, you're going to have a horizontal release point that's going towards third base side more. You're going to have the data reflect that. No difference from last start to the past year. So even though we're hearing that he's trying to be more crossfire, the data did not back that up. And that that could be, again, for two reasons. One, he's not standing that far on the rubber. Or two, he is, but his mechanics are slightly different, and the data is not reflecting that. So as the year progresses and his next start out, I'm going to be looking for that that horizontal release point, that crossfire action, because it looked to me when I was watching the game that he was like hitting like those crossfire pitches. And so I'll be monitoring that and that curveball frequency, but I think how Jake got through that first start, he was sharp, he was good, the breaking stuff was good. The early game velocity around 93, 94 was really encouraging as the game progressed around the fifth and sixth. He was sitting in the low 90s, 90, 91. So his overall average velocity was about a tick lower than what we've seen in the years past. But that that's probably just, you know, early season getting back in the swing of things. I'm not worried about that. That's all to say, though. That's all to say, though, is that I do want to see his command on that fastball get a little bit sharper. And I bring that up because his curveball was so good. His slider was so good. And he was hitting his slider at the upper portion of the plate. And so he was able, Corey, to kind of escape some jams because his breaking stuff was so good. And his command of his fastball may not have been the best, but that's why Jake is so good. He has more margin for error with his fastball when his breaking stuff is that good. So when you combine his fastball command, which I hope happens in the next few starts, with this quality of breaking stuff, you're going to get even better starts, I think. So I don't know where this leads for Jake's overall value per se, but from a one-game standpoint, that breaking pitch quality is huge. And now if he factors in that command and continues to have this type of breaking stuff, you know, you can let your mind wander what kind of value that would bring. 
Yeah, it was it was just a really good start, and I think uh, a good time, you know, to kind of have that reminder that the the Cubs aren't asking him to be the the top of the rotation guy. They're not asking him to be the ace or anything like that. So, if he's able to give you starts that even resemble this at all on a on a frequent basis, like that's what they brought him in to do. Like get you some quality starts, get you some wins, keep the team in in the game more often than not. That's that's all they're really looking for. So. It was the first start. It was against the Pirates. Like there's, you know, the, we we have a long way to go before we're able to, you know, really evaluate how he looks or how this contract looks and and all this all this other stuff. But I think combining the way that he looked in in spring training and and the way that he looked on Saturday, I think that you know this is really about as good as you could have hoped for this to go. And as we were saying, Brendan, like there were some pictures I sent them to you, like just seeing Jake in that warm up Cubs jacket, the beard, the hat, it's, you know, it just gets you going. It just makes you feel things, right? Like there's a, there's a lot going on (laughs) when you see Jake just looking his most dominant and most intimidating, I guess, you know, coming out of the bullpen and warming up in the dugout and things like that. There's just something about it that feels very right. You know, like things are right in the world. Jake is, is back strolling around Wrigleyville, wearing his Cubs gear, picking up wins for the Cubs. It just feels right. There's a balance that's, that's back in the world. So, Beyond that, uh, I want to stay with the pitching staff for a little bit, and you know, I don't, I don't really have much. I don't know if you do to add on Kyle Hendricks. Like I said, I am not worried about him at all. It just wasn't a very good start on Thursday. Uh, but I did just want to talk about Zach Davies just to kind of round out the rotation a little bit, and because he's a, a new guy, and you know, someone that we're all I think pretty familiar with given his time in Milwaukee, but. This was obviously his first start for the Cubs. And again, similar to Arietta, you know, he is technically slotted in as the three. He might be looked at as the number two if we were doing it that way and not spacing guys out rotation-wise. Um, but again, you know, you're not looking for or asking for anything insane from him. Nothing gaudy from him. Just go out there, compete, pick up quality starts, keep the team in games, give the team length, etc. And I think he would have liked to go a little longer on Sunday. You know, again, the the home run got him. It, It kind of fell apart a little bit at the end, and David Ross opted to go to the bullpen, uh, you know, before it got off the rails or, you know, giving Davies the chance to get out of it. He went to Dan Winkler instead, who did get out of it. But this was a really nice start from Zach Davies, and I and I think if Saturday and Sunday are any indication at all of what you can hope for from the Arietta Davies contingent uh, of this group, I, I think that that's, that really bodes well for the rest of the season. And that was kind of one of the things that I was getting at earlier when I said that we saw some stuff that, of course, it's just one set of games, it's the Pirates, it's opening weekend, you know, things are crazy usually on opening weekend, right? But performances like this from Marietta, performances like this from Zach Davies will go a very long way to providing stability in this rotation and allowing the Cubs to, again, you know, work toward that higher end of what the ceiling of this team can be. So it wasn't anything crazy. I think Zach probably wouldn't uh, have liked walking three guys in this game, but I thought he was really good. He, he was hitting his spots, his changeup, man. You you guys know, uh, I, I think Brendan and I are both big changeup guys, um, but 
he was getting some swings on that changeup. It's just beautiful, and and it's it's quite a luxury. And I, I to some, I know they want to see flamethrowers, they want to see that power stuff. But I'm over here thinking it's a real luxury that we get to watch Kyle Hendricks and then Zach Davies uh, go every every you know, however many days, because we just get to watch these beautiful change-ups, right? These, <laughs> these changing of eye levels on the, on, on the high eighties fastballs, and then just these devastating change-ups that fade, you know, from the middle of the plate down below the zone and the pirates were taking some pretty ugly swings. So yeah. I, I thought, you know, again, Hendricks is Kyle Hendricks. He'll be fine. And I think it was more important to see what we did from Jake Arrieta and Zach Davies to start this season because I, you know, just think it bodes well for this rotation, especially when we'll see what's up with Trevor Williams. He's made a lot of changes, so I think there's a lot of potential there. And, you know, we've already spent a while, I think, dreaming on what Alzali is going to be able to give you in the, you know, however many starts he ends up getting. So I think this was just a a solid weekend for these guys. And uh, again, like I said, it was enjoyable to be on this side of Zach Davies doing his thing. There was a lot of weak contact. He was definitely playing to that defense behind him at times. And it was nice to be on the receiving end of a Zach Davies performance like this, as opposed to the frustrated end. Yeah, well, Zach Davies looked like the guy we saw when he was in Milwaukee shutting down the Cubs, and the guy we saw in San Diego last year when he had his best season of his of his career. And what stood out to me was that changeup. And one way that Zach Davies did improve last year was by increasing that changeup percentage relative to years past by almost thirty five percent. So he relied way more on that changeup with the Padres than he did with Milwaukee. And you saw that again today. I mean, some of those at-bats by Pittsburgh with Davies, Davies was fooling them, dude. And again, early on, before he got to the six, his command was so sharp. If you just watch Wilson, where Wilson set up on the dish, Davies was hitting those spots so frequently. And I'm imagining with Kyle and Zach, those types of fast games, and just the fact that you get so many strikes from like a fan's perspective is so refreshing. Not to have to worry about some guy who has phenomenal stuff, but with command that's a little bit shaky and you get the walks and you get the volatility. It's just nice from like our perspective to watch these guys pitch and know there's a legitimate chance by the year's end, they're going to have walk rates under two batters per nine innings. That That is really fun to see. I do want to touch on Kyle, though, and then we can move on to some of the sure. you know, other pressing topics. Kyle, Kyle's going to be fine, and his velocity, we've seen this over the years. And at first, when this happened in 2017, it was alarming, and his velocity dipped yesterday to 85 miles per hour. That's, that's where he sat. Yeah. And he's ranged in his career, literally, Corey, from 85 to 90. Like, he's averaged 90 miles per hour, like, as recent as last year in some games. And he, today, averaged 85 miles per hour. And he averaged last year in some games around 86 to 87. So he has this wide discrepancy of velocity ranges Does not that does not represent the typical reason you see other pitchers dip their velocity. And in years past, when we've, when we've, heard Kyle talk about this, and when you and I have talked about this, the reason Kyle's velocity dips like that is not health-related, it's not age-related, it's mechanically related. And the biggest predictor of Kyle's velocity is his release point extension and his overall uh, vertical release point. And if we look yesterday, 
there was a discrepancy. And Kyle described this phenomenon as him being locked on the rubber. So if he gets a little bit locked and he's not able to get the type of mechanical, you know, I guess, torque, if you want to call it, his release point goes higher. And as a result, his extension is shorter and the velocity dips. That's what happened yesterday. That's one reason perhaps why you saw him get away from that sinker. He, his, he could not command a sinker. So yesterday, he basically flipped his sinker and four-seam usage from his normal frequency. And he threw more four-seamers than sinkers yesterday. That's that's not who Kyle is. Kyle's a sinker, change-up guy, sprinkling some four-seamers to keep the batter off uh, off guard, especially those elevated uh, high fastballs. That wasn't Kyle yesterday. Kyle's mechanics were all over the place. He said that even in the postgame. And to look at that velocity and kind of freak out, I think that's valid for most pitchers. But for Kyle, that is just simply a marker of, hey, his mechanics are not there yet. And they're going to get there. He's Kyle Hendricks. He's done this in years past legitimately zero concerns whatsoever. Yeah, and he's one of those guys. We've seen this before where he'll start the season, the velo isn't there, and people are like, okay, what's going on here? And it ticks up, especially the weather warms up. He irons out these mechanics. It, it it won't be a thing. Um, but, you know, like you were saying, I mean, it, it's it's a lot of this is, uh, especially with guys like Hendricks who are so cerebral and so good at articulating a lot of this, you know, you mentioned some of the mechanic stuff, but it's also, you know, just very easy to sort of see how some of this happens and to see how some of the velocity stuff affects things. So the home run to Key Brian Hayes in the first on Thursday, he fouls off the first sinker. The next two pitches are sinkers that he lays off. So Hendricks goes with an 80 mile an hour change up. It stays up. It leaks over the middle of the plate. He takes it out for a home run. You know, you can kind of look at the way that that at bat plays out and it, you know, sort of makes sense. It lines up with a lot of what Kyle says and, and you can sort of see how we get there, how the home run happens. And it's it's just one of those things where with someone like Kyle who does not throw as hard, who does not have that overpowering stuff, little things like that are where he makes his mistakes. And especially as the velocity ticks up, he's able to command, you know, his his fastball, his sinker more, execute it more in places that he wants. And it you know, the changeup plays off of it, etc. But that's typically how it goes for Kyle. You know, Key Brian Hayes had a really nice at bat laying off those two pitches. The changeup stayed over the middle. He takes it out. And that's kind of how it goes with Kyle. Like it's, it, it, it wasn't an outing where he was getting knocked all over the ballpark, right? It was one at bat, makes one mistake, you know, and, and sometimes with the, lower velocity, you're, you're not able to get away with that stuff. And, you know, when it stays over the middle, you know, that's that's how it happens. So it it's yeah, I I'm not concerned about Kyle. It's usually very easy to see, you know, kind of the the keys that he needs to be successful and if they're not there, the margin of error is just a lot smaller for him than it is for other guys and and this is just how it's always been with him, but he will be fine. So I want to stay on the pitching staff for a little here and go to what I think is, you know, I I don't know if I would call it the main headline of the weekend. I don't know what you want to call the main headline, but as I mentioned in in the short recap there, Brendan Craig Kimbrell was nasty this weekend. And we have obviously talked about Craig a good bit on this podcast since he signed with the Cubs, but especially in this season, right? When you have a lot of uncertainty in the bullpen, you have a lot of guys who are, you know, kind of on the more volatile end in terms of relievers. 
you're waiting for Rowan Wick to come back. You're waiting for maybe Brad Week to enter this bullpen and things like that. It's, you know, there's a lot going on in that bullpen. And so Craig Kimbrell being Hall of Fame type Craig Kimbrell doesn't have to be, you know, peak Craig Kimbrell, but more resembling the Hall of Famer and one of the best closers this game has ever seen, rather than the version that pitched against the Cardinals in 2019 is integral to this team's success. And as we talked about before, if the Cubs find themselves in a place to, or they're going to do it no matter what in terms of trading players at the deadline, I hope that's not the case, right? And I hope that they're trying to win and buying and in a good place to cement being in first place. But if that's where they find themselves, right, as the organization's at an interesting spot here, it's really important that Craig Kimbrell's good. So either way, you you want Craig to be really good. And he looked so good this weekend, Brendan. Like the command was there. He was darting pitches on the black of the strike zone on both sides to lefties, righties. He was elevating his fastball. He was burying the breaking ball. He was throwing the breaking ball for strikes. I'm like the the only thing was that he was sitting at about 96 and I think we know that he has another tick or two in there and so you'd like that to come just because anytime a guy has usually had consistent high velocity like that you'd like him to be able to work with that right but other than that I literally don't know how that could have gone better for Craig Kimbrell and you know again the worthwhile caveat it's the Pirates it's one series We've got a long season to go, so, you know, of course, you don't want to, uh, just as I I would say, don't overreact to Hendricks on Thursday, you know, you don't want to overreact positively, I guess, but this is what Craig looked like to finish the 2020 season, and so we've seen this from him before. We know he can still get there at this point in his career. We know that Hadavi and and them, that they can get this together. We've seen it, right? And this weekend, he just looked so good. As I already mentioned, he struck out five of the six batters he faced. Nobody reaches. I I don't know what more you could have asked for from Craig, Craig Kimbrell on this particular weekend. And I kept taking pictures of it at the end of the game. But, I mean, he was ear-to-ear grins after these games, which I don't re- you know remember yeah, all that much never. of from him <laughs> in his time in Chicago. I think he's feeling good. I think he's vibing with this team, with how he's pitching right now. And again, I, I like honestly, you, 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 I think, believe that there's an extra mile per hour or two in there to get him up to, you know, closer to sitting 97, 98. So you'd like to see that as the summer heats up and unfolds. But other than that, this was a really, really nice showing from Craig Grimble in these two games. Yeah, I mean, Craig looked unbelievable. And that that breaking pitch was on point, man. And even though the velocity on that fastball was not where it was, if you if you rewind from the first what was it, two or three outings from 2020. And we were talking about this. I remember very vividly, you were very demonstrative about this. You, you and it was all fair, right? Like you didn't have much confidence he could rebound that fast and really no one did. And that was because his command of that fastball was so bad. And the velocity at that time was like 95 plus, again, bad command. While Craig's velocity is not that 98, that 99 that you've been so accustomed to seeing, the 96-97 is going to play, but the command there was spot 
on. And in years past, if you want to use 2017, 2018, especially 2018 as a reference point, Craig's velocity over that season markedly increased with Boston to the point by the, by the end of the year, you know, he was hitting 99 triple digits. And so I, this is all to say, like, it's early on in the year, people's velocity they, they do increase as the year goes on. Not everyone, but on average, after the first one to three outings, you know, then you have a pretty decent barometer of what to expect in the immediacy. But over time, you know, people's velocity, they, they, they do increase. But that breaking pitch, spot on. And David Ross last year described some of those early outings from Craig as having cement mixer breaking pitches. They were just hanging up there, no break. This time... These first two outings, clearly breaking, clearly looking good, clearly commanded, and complementing that fastball that was, again, 96-97. This is what you want. And even if the Cubs are not going to be extremely competitive, as you said, we have no idea where they're going to be at the trade deadline. The fact is, if they have Craig looking like a major league closer, that is insanely valuable. Look at what the Cubs dealt over the past few years to get just a competent reliever. Right. I mean, they traded Corey, and maybe this is way above market value, which it probably is by Theo at the time. They traded Isaac Paredes for Justin Wilson to destroy. Like, what, like what was that? And, and now Isaac Paredes is one of the better um prospects in, in that system. So this is all to say is regardless if the Cubs are going to be a Nostra competitive division uh, winner, it doesn't really matter in the context of Craig because if he's so good, then there is a legit possibility you can get back either immediate value for 2022 or you can back prospects for the future or if they are competitive, now you have a major league closer to complement a bullpen that has a high likelihood of being well above league average based on last year and some of the numbers. Huge to see. I think second to Arietta Kimbrell's performances, you need to see that. Like I, when I say you, I I need to see that. I think to have stability at the end of the bullpen would be such a relief for this team. Right. And to reiterate, both Brendan and I believe this team is going to win the division and however, you know, high of their win projection total they need to get to win the division. That's what I said they're going to do. I'm not looking for them to have to trade Kimbrel. of course. I'm just throwing that out there as this organization's in a weird spot. I don't know what Jed's plan is. I don't know what's going on with the budget, etc. There's a lot of things going on with this organization. So you just want all your you know, boxes to be checked, all the stones unturned, whatever cliche you want to use, as many good positions as we can put this team into, regardless of the path they're taking, that's what we want. And to your point too, like, especially like what is really important about Craig, I think is when he was struggling against in 2019, and especially to start 2020, it was really obvious that it was not working. That was what was so frustrating, as you alluded to, uh, from my perspective, was the the command, especially that, you know, remember, he was like, at one point, the opposing teams weren't even swinging at his breaking ball, because it was nowhere near the zone. They were just not even, once they saw spin, they were out, right? And So what's important is, yes, this performance was lights out. He's darting on the black. He was painting. He was getting whiffs. It was really, really good. But it's it's also just a simple sort of thing where it's like it was really easy to tell 
when he was way off and it just was not right and they had mechanics to work through and things to work through. It was very, very visible. And that is clearly not where he was at the end of 2020 and that's clearly not where he is right now. So we'll see how it all unfolds, but at least from the end of 2020 to now, we are long past the sort of obvious like, yo, this is major red flags, something is wrong here, right? And that's what's really important is we have moved past that, they've figured that stuff out, and now it's just a question of where can that velo get and how good can he be? And if this weekend was any indication, the answer is really, really good. Lights out good. So I want to switch to the offense. There there was some other stuff in the bullpen, but I think especially just for the first series, you know, David is trying these guys out, trying to get guys in there. I you know, admittedly, I don't love uh, the Cubs were up by two in a game that they should be locking down a victory over the Pirates on Sunday. Rex Brothers in a two-run game in the eighth inning, especially with the three-batter minimum, not for me. I, I really didn't like that decision. But as I said, it's the first weekend. You had that weird off day in there. There's so many guys in this bullpen that I think, you know, David wants to get them in there. He wants to ride some of the guys that had success in spring training and see if you can kind of piggyback on that. So I'm, you know, that was the one thing where I was like, I don't love this, but it's the first weekend. We'll, we're not going to scrutinize those decisions, I don't think, too much uh, after just three games. Um, but one, the last note, it was really nice to see the outing that Brandon Workman had on Saturday. He's one of those guys who has had some really, really major success, but it's all about putting it back together. Um, and Saturday was a really nice outing for him. So uh, if he's able to continue on that, I think that would be uh, something, you know, really to watch. So I think that's all I, I really had on the bullpen. Like I said, it's it's the first three games. We'll see. Kimbrell's just so important that I wanted to make sure we touched on him. But the rest of the guys, obviously, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. So I want to touch on the offense a little bit. Um, you know, again, you didn't really have any wild performances this weekend. Um, you know, nobody has four home runs already or anything like that. Um, but the first thing I, I, I wanted to note, um, well, the real first thing I want to note is that it's only three games, but uh, as two people who have relentlessly defended Chris Bryant and noted that if he's healthy, you can expect him to be good, I just want to point out that after three games, he has the highest OPS on the team. So, you know, look, I'm not telling you to read into three games. It's a horribly small sample size, so this is barely a serious comment from me. I just wanted to point that out. It's nice to see after 2020, even if it's only three games, it's just nice to see Chris at the top of that leaderboard. It just, you know, feels right. Um, But what I wanted to note specifically, going back to my point about seeing things in this weekend series that you hope continue and that would bode really well for the Cubs throughout the season, we had a game on Saturday that I'd have to go look at 2020 and see how much this even happened. Um, but we had a game on Saturday where they were not the only ones who contributed on offense on Saturday, but the offense got really significant contributions from Chris Bryant and Javi Baez on Saturday. And given how much we've talked about them needing bounce back seasons, and if they do have those bounce back seasons, how much differently people would think about this team, think about this offense, think about the Cubs as a whole, it was really, really nice to see a game where Javi and KB have such an imprint 
on the offense. So the Cubs' first run of the game is basically manufactured by Javi Baez, who steals two bases in the process, scores on a bloop single from Jake Marisnik. So one of those classic Javis out there being a madman on the bases, and he ends up scoring a run that probably doesn't exist if it's not for him. Chris Bryant homers, his first of the year, and then Javi also has an RBI single in the seventh to push the lead to five to one. So again, you know, Jason Hayward homered in that game. David Bodie had a sack fly. Jake Marisnik had the, the hit that drove Javi in. So they weren't the only guys that did it, but really, really nice early on, Brendan, to have a game where immediately it's like, okay, this one had a Javi and KB stamp all over it, which is what we want to see. Yeah, I, I mean, KB, Corey, that one uh, base hit he had to right field was the hardest base hit to right field he's yeah. had since 2017. That's four years ago, dude. That is an incredible sign. And then the, the home run he had at dead center, he was locked in. That was a fastball, and he just completely turned on it. And you want to see KB go to right field with authority. We've had Mike Bryant on this podcast a few times now, and they've been working on this for years, trying to just go more oppo, not in doing so by sacrificing pole field power, but being able to attack all parts of the zone with a huge degree of frequency, whether it's the side or up and in. And we've heard Mike, and we've talked about this too in, in years past, pitchers are going to try, and they have been trying to attack KB up and in. And so if KB can take that away, which he has done so at times in 2019, there was a huge stretch where KB improved those up and in fastballs and his ability to turn on those so much that they started going outside again. And that's where that oppo field power comes into place. And so we saw that. And that was against the shift too, Corey. That one base that he had a right field and not going to run, that was against the shift. And so whether that was intentional or not, it doesn't matter, but having the ability to go against that shift and hit the ball over 100, you know, five miles per hour like that was huge and encouraging and a sign that he is healthy. He's not dealing with severe wrist injuries and not dealing with severe ligament injuries in his fingers and knees. It's like every single injury you could possibly imagine the guy's had in the past three years now. Love it. We need Javi, we need KB to be staples in the middle of the order. KB is providing some incredible encouragement. I thought Rizzo to compliment KB with those quality at-bats was so good to see. And it reminded you what this ceiling of this offense can be when the middle of the order is stable. Yeah, and I was fooled. I thought Rizzo went back to back with uh, oh, so KB did I. I in that game. He got down. under the a fly ball, but I, I man, I was gonna freak out if we got a Rizzo back to back on the first weekend. Oh man, was I gonna <laughs> go nuts? But yeah, it was just sort of a lazy fly ball. I got, I got, I got fooled. But uh, Javi didn't have the best weekend, um, you know, overall. But I think that that performance on Saturday. He looked really good on defense. Uh, you know, I know he was already yeah. in the left field, outfield grass, throwing guys out, you know, on ground balls, classic Javi stuff, menace on the bases. And again, you know, just good to see some some hard hit balls. The, the one that was called an error on Sunday was a hard hit ball. Now he hit it to third on the contact play with Chris running home. So not really where you want to hit the ball, but he hit it so hard that it went through the guy's legs. So you can kind of judge that how you want. As long as he's hitting the ball hard, I don't really care. 
And again, just to have a game after 2020 and after how much was made about the two of them specifically, to have a game where they really significantly impact the offense and, you know, really clearly are, are part of the guys carrying the load on that day for the Cubs to get a victory was just really nice to see to start the season for these guys. But KB had a good weekend, man. KB goes three for nine on the weekend. He took a walk in every game, like you said, going the other way, had some extra base hits, hit the home run. Really nice weekend uh, for KB all around. So that's the type of stuff you want to see. Again, like they don't, the two of them either one of them or both of them, right? Like, they don't have to be the MVP versions of themselves, but we know they're better than they were in 2020, and and the Cubs need that to shine through in 2021 if they want to be as successful as we all hope that they are. Uh, So the only other person I I really wanted to mention, I don't know if you wanted to talk about Hap at all. I know you were really impressed uh, with the at-bats that he was taking and the patience. Really, really, he he continues to show that he's just made uh, some really incredible adjustments and how, you know, strong he is as a player to have the performance that he does in the leadoff spot. Obviously, Marisnik gets in there on Saturday, Ross said, you know, he just wants Jake to not get stuck in a in a bench role where he's not getting in there at, at all, and that was just how the matchup shook out, so uh, that just was how they made that decision, um, but in the game on Thursday, Hap doesn't get any hits, but he takes a walk, and then in the game on Sunday, he takes two walks, of course, hits the home run, and the reason I bring up those walks is just that it's, we've talked about this, but it's not easy to transition to that leadoff spot, especially on a team where the leadoff spot has been a point of discussion since Dexter Fowler left after winning the World Series with the Chicago Cubs in 2016. Um, But with, you know, you, you had Schwarber there, you had so many guys there, and it didn't work. And so for Hap, as young as he is, and, and for as, you know, um, up and down as his career has been, just in terms of him being sent down, not getting the playing time, having to make the adjustments. You know, Hap was a surprise send down before the season at one point, and just for him to make these adjustments and show that patience in the leadoff spot and be able to get himself on base, whether he's hitting or not, hitting tanks, it's it's really impressive from him. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're lucky to have him in the Cubs organization and and lucky that he's uh, gotten this opportunity and is is really taking taking the ball and running with it. So, you know, again, it, it, you know, he didn't uh, hit the cover off the ball all weekend, you know, didn't start on Saturday, but still just really impressive to see what he's doing in that leadoff spot to to begin this season. And the, the last person I wanted to mention was just Jason Hayward, uh, who, you know, again, like it's it's more about what we saw, not necessarily, you know, the, the overall, you know, I don't really care. I, I jokingly mentioned the Brian thing with the OPS at the beginning, but you know, the, the numbers don't really matter after three games. It's more about what things looked like. And I wanted to mention Hayward just because to see him hit a home run and to see him hitting the ball hard in in this first series. So it's obviously a much smaller sample than the rest of his career. But uh, I think through the weekend was at about 94 miles an hour on average exit velocity. Just for reference, 2020, he was at about 87.6, about 89 the year bef- the few years before. And I only bring that up because that has been one of those markers that we've looked at throughout the years with him that 
progress was coming and that progress was coming based off of all the extra work that he was doing in Mesa in Chicago, the mechanical changes that he had made, the video he was watching, etc. We've seen it all the time. And as the years went on from 2017, you started to see it reflected in the numbers, right? He he got up to an overall average WRC plus at around 100, you know, then was 101 and then had the best year of his career in 2020, albeit a shortened one at over 130 on the WRC plus scale. And one of the key markers to that throughout that time was exit velocity. And I remember, I think it was Michael Cerami, who's been on the show a few times, friend of the podcast from over at Bleacher Nation, who had written a bunch about Jason Hayward's exit velocity. And it was, you know, kind of those articles, especially at the time a few years ago, that would be met with you know, people rolling their eyes or like, okay, great, he's hitting the ball hard, but it's, you know, he's still got a 650 OPS or whatever it is. But it was one of those things where as you kept paying attention to it, it's like clearly something is different here. He's making better contact. The progress is coming. And so this is all just a roundabout way to say that just in these first three games, He's hitting the ball hard. He was putting nice swings on a lot of the ball on on a lot of these balls. He had some bad luck. A couple of the balls he hit this weekend looked good off the bat, but found the glove, hits the home run, and again, it it's just one of those things where his offensive performance matching more in line with the last couple seasons rather than his first with the Cubs big deal for this team. He's put in the work, we've seen the progress, and hopefully this weekend is an indication that that progress is going to continue and he's going to have a nice offensive season for this team and nice for him doesn't mean anything crazy it just means a you know above average offensive production season to go along with one of the best gloves in the league and being a top base runner in this league and overall that creates a very valuable player so it was just a nice weekend for him from a visual perspective of like this guy looks like he's seeing the ball well, looks like the progress that we've seen over the last few years should hopefully continue yeah. here during the season. Yeah, and uh, you want Jason Hayward to succeed so bad. You know the hard work that he's put in. We've been talking about it for like over five years now. So you you want him from a personal level to get the most success possible and to get the most results out of his hard work. But let's preview these next three games. So the Cubs will remain at Wrigley Field for a three-game set against the Milwaukee Brewers. And that first game is your first night game at Wrigley Field. That starts at 6.40 p.m. Central Time. You have Trevor Williams making his Chicago Cubs debut. He'll be facing former Cub and your best friend, Corey Brett Anderson. That game, again, starts at 6.40 p.m. Central Time. And then on Tuesday, another 6.40 p.m. Central Time start. You have Freddie Peralta from Milwaukee. Uh, he'll be facing Adber Alzali making his season debut for the Cubs. Alzali is in that fifth spot. And so that means the rotation turns over. Kyle Hendricks gets the ball on Wednesday to finish off the three-game set. Uh, Hendricks will be facing the Brewers ace, Brandon Woodruff, who got a little roughed up in that first start, as did Kyle. So that game against our set, 1.20 p.m. Central Time. Milwaukee went 1-2 and two in their first three-game set. The Cubs, of course, are 2-1 and one after their series win against Milwaukee. Nothing stand out to look for this upcoming series. I mean, other than watching Kyle hopefully rebounding 
But you know the story with Trevor Williams. You know the story with Adbert Alzelay. You know their sliders have been a point of focus for Tommy Hadovy. You know that Alzelay changed and developed a slider at the end of September last year. He developed a sinker at the end of September last year. He outright won the job for the starting rotation. Um, Probably because of all of his hard work, he looks like he's in better shape. He had a great uh, end to that spring. And with Trevor Williams, he's been working on like, I think, over 10 different pitch grips on his breaking pitches. And everything that we've heard from Tommy Hadovy in the pitch lab about Trevor Williams looks pretty encouraging. So those two guys, for me, like I've been following them a lot this spring. I'm excited to see them make their Cubs debuts. And to have uh, their debuts come against Milwaukee in that rival series, it's going to be fun, Corey. Yeah, I I mean, look, I I think it's it's so early in the season. I don't really have too much I'm looking into other than what you said. It's it's going to be cool to see Trevor Williams make his debut. Obviously, really fixated on what Alzelay is able to do. I think that you know there's just so much potential there, and for what he's able to provide in the 2021 season, and really just being excited for him. You know, he's one of those guys. We saw him. That there was a great photo of him, uh, or I think it was just from the broadcast. But you know, people took a screenshot on Saturday, taking notes in his notebook. You've seen him do that in the dugout before, after a lot of his starts. But he was doing it during Jake's start on Saturday, and you know, we saw so much of that relationship in spring training. Just one of those guys who you can tell that he's put in this work. He's thrilled. If you follow him on social media, uh, Twitter or Instagram, he's so thrilled to be in Chicago, to have made the team for his first opening day, to, you know, he's living in those, I don't know, you know, if you guys have been in the Wrigleyville area, those new uh, apartments that are across the street from the right field gate, he, he's been living there, or at least that's where he's sharing a lot of photos. So at least that's where he's staying for now. And he just seems so thrilled to be in Chicago, a part of this organization, and, and have this opportunity. And he's clearly put in the work. And so he's just one of those guys, like a lot of them, where you just want to see it pay off, and you're just really excited for him. So I'm looking forward to that. And just continuing the season, Brendan, it's it's great to have baseball back and, and great to, I think, you know, start this season with some NL Central games and, you know, get, get right into what should be a, a very competitive a very competitive division and, and very competitive season for all of these teams. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, hopefully the Cubs can keep winning. A, a, taking two out of three and winning series is always a recipe to success. So the more that we can be doing that, the better. So I think that is what we have for you here. Um, as always, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to let an episode go at this point without saying this, uh, but to anyone who is listening who can affect these things, you should pay Anthony Rizzo what he deserves and extend his contract, hashtag extend Rizzo, because he deserves it, and this should not be a thing anymore. So we'll just reiterate that. We don't have to make it a, a focal point of every episode, but I'll, I'll, I'll get it in there. The Cubs should extend Anthony Rizzo and, and give him what he needs to do that. And... Yeah, I think that's what we have. It, it, you know, as always, like I said on the last one, we thank you guys for your support. Um, we thank you guys for sticking with us through the off seasons and stuff. I know it. At least, uh, you know, we all prefer watching baseball and talking about baseball. So it's it's not always riveting to be looking at the free agent market or the waiver wire or what mechanical changes these guys are making in spring training. But we're here. We made it. The Cubs are playing baseball. Fans are at Wrigley Field, and the Cubs are winning baseball games again. 
which I think is what we're all here for. So we thank you guys for joining us. We will talk to you at the end of the Cubs next series where we break it all down and preview what they have coming next. So we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. We will talk to you again soon. And as always, go Cubs.